Hello, travelers of W-Holes. You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you, you send us your most sinister movie dares. And what do we do? We suffer those consequences for your, your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and I will press the buttons on your box anytime. <laughs> and with me, as always, is Daniel Barnes, the film critic for the Sacramento News and Review, and a member of the San Francisco Film Critic Circle. Hi, everyone. As Corky said, on this show, we do your dirty work. By watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, and then we review and rate them on our unique system. We give a run-of-the-mill bad film a dare, the double dare goes to those truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare for a despised movie that is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're navel-gazing with a review of Richard Kelly's The Box, starring Cameron Diaz, James Marsden, and Frank Langella. But before we get started, Daniel is going to tell us about the beer he'll be, will be drinking during the show. So this week's film, The Box, is a very twisty movie about uh, human misbehavior. So I got us a beer called Naughty, K-N-O-T-T-Y, by Three Weavers out of Inglewood, California. Inglewood, I have been informed through song, is, uh, in fact, up to no good. Inglewood, always up to no good. Uh, always up to no good. Uh, yeah, this is by Three Weavers out of Inglewood. It's a double IPA, 8.6%, super dank, super hoppy beer. Uh, big one that Three Weavers just started distributing in the Sacramento area, and this is a good one to lead with. I am not going to drink any beers that aren't puns anymore. I like this naughty beer. That's a good call. <laughs> All right, so today's dare came to us from my wife, Heather. She dares, have you ever watched a movie and what thought, what the fuck, throughout the whole thing? While simultaneously thinking it can't get weirder, but it does, then this is a cinematic classic for you. Bonus, Santa appears. P.S. Corky, I won't watch this one with you. You're on your own. I like that she put a bonus and a P.S. <laughs> the I Am Motherfucking Daniel Barnes synopsis. A small wooden box arrives on the doorstep of a married couple who know that opening it will grant them a million dollars and kill someone they don't know. That's not even true. It's not opening that kills somebody. Yeah, so The Box came out in 2009. It was directed, written and directed by Richard Kelly. It is an adaptation of the 1970 short story by Richard Matheson right. that is called Button Button. And that was actually made into a Twilight Zone episode in 1986, the post-Serling Twilight Zone episodes that were made. And I, in preparing for the show, I read the story and I watched the episode. So we can talk about some of the differences sure. between the three versions. They all have the exact same setup. A, mar- a young married couple sees a visit from someone named Mr. Stewart, who has a box with a button, and if they push the button, mm-hmm. they get a large sum of money, and somebody that they don't know will die. Okay. So it's basically just sort of a twist on like these these real-life psychological experiments, like the Milgram experiment or the Stanford Prison experiment, that seem kind of destined to sort of test your moral your moral boundaries yeah one of those philosophy 101 navel gazing questions exactly the original story is about eight pages long uh and then the tv episode is about 20 minutes long then it has been expanded by richard <laughs> yeah. kelly into a two hour plus movie or no, yeah. it's a little under two hours i believe 115 minutes right so this is the third film by richard kelly uh his first one was donnie darko which kind of put him on the map when uh, it came out in 2001 but it was really when came to video in 2002 that they really exploded. Yeah, word of mouth. His follow-up was the Southland Tales was kind of a disaster, had a notoriously bad screening at the Cannes Film Festival. It was long delayed and was basically barely released. So this was sort of like his attempt to make a more commercial version of what he does, which apparently is 
some kind of nonsense about wormholes and time travel. And I know that word is super loaded. Yeah. I'm but we cannot talk whole- about any Richard Kelly movie without talking about wormholes we because he's freaking obsessed. We could say W hole though, because we're I mean we're getting a little offensive to the wormhole community right <laughs> you now. You know, we've got the uh, we've got the explicit tag on there. They know it's going to. They get know a little- you're right. This, this is, is an adult conversation that we're going to have about <laughs> wor- wormholes. You, you can barely get it out. Can barely get it out. But yeah, this is apparently his his sort of stock and trade. And it's attempt, like I said, to make a more somewhat mainstream genre movie. It has stars in it. stars Cameron Diaz, James Marsden, and Franklin Jella as Mr. Stewart. Wynn Butler and Regine Shazan of Arcade Fire contributed to the score of the film. It was mostly shot in the Boston area. Some scenes shot in Richmond, where it's supposed to be set. Yeah. And others were shot at NASA's Langley Research Center in Virginia, where Kelly's father worked. And the movie's set in the 70s, which I, there doesn't seem to be any real reason for that you other know, I, than some kind of nostalgia, I think. I was thinking about this. There's that, but there's also, we can get into this later, but the pains this movie goes into setting up the premise. Right. And that's part of it. Exactly. But a lot of it just seems to be click on a TV and watch a little clip of what's, what's happening. happening. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a lot of nostalgia, which is a lot of what Donnie Darko did. This is, Absolutely. You can, in, for the 80s, so you can feel him kind of. Trying to go with something familiar that worked before after a big flop with Southland Tales. Unfortunately, the box was not particularly well received when it was released on November 6, 2009. Came out on 2,635 screens. Mixed reviews from the critics. 44 on Rotten Tomato, 47 on Metacritic. Film grossed 15 million domestic, 33 million worldwide against a budget of 30 million. But really what is notable about it is the super negative response from the audience. We said 44 critic score on Rotten Tomato, but 23 audience score, and the cinema score rating was an F. Sure. Which is very rare. I believe it was one of, I read an article, it was something like one of 17 movies in 31 years really? to get an F <laughs> on cinema score. So it had just an incredibly negative response from, from the viewing public. As far as the critics, uh, David Hiltman of the Philadelphia Inquirer said... Whatever you do, do not accept delivery of the box, a package that doesn't know where it is going, nor how to get there. A lot of the really hacky critics just made box puns. <laughs> box jokes, do not accept, or put this back in the butt, whatever. Quirky, yeah. if you could push a button. Sure. And just magically make this movie disappear from the earth. You don't have to watch it. Yeah. You don't know anybody involved. And you get zero dollars. Right. You push the button. Dan, I started pressing the button when you got out the words, Corky, if you could push a button. I was wailing on that fucking thing. You were just, but you just like pushing buttons. Yeah, right. I just push buttons. It's just some kind of. I am a button pusher. (laughs) No, but uh, I would, uh, yeah, I would cast this movie to uh, any W hole adjacent community. I would just. Get this movie out of out of here. Really, nobody needs to see this movie. No one needs nobody to see it. Needs to you see this movie. hated this movie. Oh, I, I loathed loathed this movie. This movie. Yeah. Wow, this movie was so frustratingly bad. Uh, I I I didn't have that same reaction. And maybe we can talk about why. Uh, since you represent the common man, and you represent you have that F cinema critics <laughs> who gave this movie inexplicably a forty-five rating, forty-five, which is just like. Sort I mean, of that's indifference. An, it's an F. <laughs> it's indifference, but you're you're having an extreme negative reaction. Yeah. When I, I I actually saw this in the theater back in 2009, and had a kind of mixed, slightly positive reaction, and watching it again, I had more of a negative reaction. But I'm still kind of in the middle. I just I, it's just draggy. It's yeah. just kind of dull. And in in comparison to Donnie Darko, 
which is the first one, which I know you don't like that. I movie don't like either. Don- yeah, right? I don't like any of his stuff. But I think for people who did like Donnie Darko, you know, why does that movie succeed and this one doesn't? It's because that film, if you kind of pile it up, apparently there's a whole explanation, and he's given this whole explanation for everything in the movie, and that there's these different dimensions and that there's people who can be active in a dimension but then the dimension does a thing and it's just it's this whole thing of rules and explanations in the box again we're just getting more rules and explanations and alternate dimensions and things and it's a lot of explanation but there's no reason to care about anything that's happening in the movie he never really establishes the real human dynamic of it we don't really aren't ever invested in the actual characters of it because he's just too obsessed with the aspects that involve wormholes and time travel and people controlling each other's minds and government conspiracies and things like that. He's just sort of piling on stuff instead of actually getting you invested in the characters and their story, which is what happened, I think, with Donnie Darko. And he has sort of increasingly got away from that. Well, the only thing I can – I can he can film a shot. Sure. He, can, he can set up a scene. He can evoke something in it, right. but he can't string them together to make a cohesive movie or make, to me, an engrossing, entertaining movie. Donnie Darko, I understand why that could be popular. It's smaller scale. Yeah. It's darker, moodier, creepier. The performances far outweigh any performances in this movie. I could see that succeeding with this because this was just tacked on shit after tacked on shit. And there was a point halfway through this movie where I was like, this isn't going to wrap up. Right. There's nothing that's going to... Each scene I got madder at because I know, oh, here's more stuff that's not going to get explained. Yeah. That's just going to be frustrating, which I'm usually okay with. But in this movie, that's the whole purpose. And that just did nothing. In fact, turned me against this movie. Yeah. And if we talk about comparing it to the short story version and the TV version, what does this movie add to that? the basic concepts and ideas set up in, in those previous versions of this story? Just gobbledygook. Yeah. Just gobbledygook about people controlling each other's minds and controlling the lightning and nosebleeds and cerebral cortexes and just just science talk, science talk. It's vagary nonsense. by way of explanation. Yeah. And there's very little momentum to it. Mm-hmm. Scenes drag on forever. There's no shaping within the scene. You're right. He can set up a shot, but he cannot shape a sequence and he can't string those together in any cohesive sort of way. No. Yeah. So let's get right into it. All right. Dan. How does this open? That's a great question. Thank you. I'm prepared to answer that question. Open the box. <laughs> no. So we actually see some on-screen type, and we hear the sounds of like a teletype machine. Yeah. As the type kind of comes out. And it's a classified memorandum from Langley, Virginia. So we know that it's involving NASA and the deepest uh, you know, spies. CIA, NSA, CIA, all, all the stuff. acronyms. <laughs> And in the memorandum, we are informed that Arlington Stewart has been released from a burn unit and, quote, the patient has constructed a device of unknown purpose and he is taking it around to private citizens. I knew we were in for a fucking bad movie when I was like, they they had to give you all of this in a memorandum teletype at the beginning. Just be like, all right, let's catch you up on everything. Here's the whole thing right here. But I started wondering, what are my favorite burn unit movies? (laughs) You got the English patient, right. you know, the box doesn't do it for me, but uh, uh, Dark Man, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so after this memorandum, we get on screen type that says Virginia. It's specifically, uh, some of it was shot around Richmond. The, the exteriors of the city are Richmond, but uh, it just says Virginia, 1976. Yeah. 
And I think it's important to note that Richard Kelly was born in, I believe, 1976 or 1977. Bicentennial, baby. His father worked for NASA. He grew up in Virginia. There's some sort of biographical kind of stuff here. Hopefully, he did not have that wallpaper pattern that they have because, holy crap. You would vomit every day with that. That wallpaper pattern in their house plays a supporting role in the film. (laughs) It is absolutely hideous. But we open on a couple in bed. Yeah. And their names are Jimmy and Laura. Lewis. They, they're pretty much referred to as Mr. and Mrs. No, Lewis. No, they're Norma and... Oh, who, yeah. Who the fuck are they? No, <laughs> you're right. It's I didn't even remember that. Mr. and Mrs. Lewis. It's Norma and Claude? Claude? No, Arthur. <laughs> Arthur Lewis. Norma and Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> so prepared. So we open on a couple in bed. This is Norma and Arthur, played by Cameron Diaz and James Marston. Sure. They're sleeping. It's early in the morning. They hear a doorbell. Uh, what we, the hell's going on? We see it's Christmas time, which has sparked the huge online debate. Is the box a Christmas movie? It, in the same way that Die Hard is a Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it takes place at Christmas. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. Santa's if, in it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Santa is in it. There are gifts given? There Absolutely. It's it has Christmas, Christmas movie, shit right? in it. It has Christmas stuff. So on the doorstep, they see a car pulling off. A, a big black car pulls away. And on their doorstep is a box. And this is a married couple. They also have a child who's probably, what, like 12 years 12, old? 12, I would say. Their wallpaper is just the most psychotic thing in the world. It yeah. is just this strange shape in yellow and brown and orange it it just looks absolutely insane and they actually have a piece of furniture that matches the wallpaper (laughs) that has that exact same pattern we yeah and we should say this is a colonial front virginia beautiful stately mansion (laughs) nice neighborhood yes it's morning and they are sitting around the breakfast table this family wondering and marveling at this box and you're kind of getting this set uh, Richard Kelly trying to make this a little creepy. He's yeah. doing long takes, kind of the shining style. Right. But I, what I noticed was Cameron Diaz doesn't know what to do during long takes. Like yeah. She's used to movies where they do close up one take, boom. <laughs> and uh, she cannot, like Marsden can fill. She cannot fill. <laughs> so it, they open it up and in there, inside the box is a box. Oh. And on top of the box is a glass dome. And under the glass dome is a button. The glass dome is locked, but there's a note on the box saying, Mr. Stewart will call upon you at 5 p.m. At this point, we should maybe say that James Marsden, the film is set in Virginia because he works at Langley. Yeah. He works at NASA. Yeah. He's an aspiring astronaut. Arthur is. Arthur Lewis. But they both have southern accents. Hers is rural Georgia. Yeah. And I'm going to use a technical term here about acting that I've learned over my, you know, as I've studied cinema yeah, really my entire life, uh, bad. Her <laughs> accent is really bad. Really bad. Cameron Diaz is bad. I was this, noting man. it and I was like, are they going to explain that she's actually f- poor? She comes from a sharecropping family. Yeah. Something. No, they never get into it. She thinks Virginia is in the deep rural <laughs> South. <laughs> and, her she just over emotes every single scene. Like if if the scene is her character is supposed to be worried, she really just plays worried on her face as she is basically explaining that she's worried. <laughs> yeah, that's it, true. It's huh? just it's an over she overdoes it in every single scene. <laughs> so we have our our title, the box over the box with that which has it's a wooden box with a glass bubble and a big red button inside it. So now we're gonna follow. 
uh, Norma and Arthur to work. So Norma is a professor at a private school that her son goes to. Apparently it's St. Mary's of the Privileged Smartass. Because <laughs> she's teaching this class of <laughs> students who rail on her about her disfigurement. Now that's the word used in the movie, my disfigurement. Because we see her slightly limp. They make her show her her disfigured foot. Yeah, there's a creepy student in the class. Uh, and she's trying to teach No Exit by Sartre, which, I mean, this, to me, this is just stuff yeah. that he's throwing in there. Yeah. They try to bring the No Exit back at a certain point later in the movie. But yeah. to me, this just it's just, it's the, the cheapest attempt to sound smart, which is just to have a professor teach the theme of your movie, you know? Right. But it doesn't really even tie into the theme. Right now, as we're recording it, there's this viral tweet going around, hello, I am a teacher in a movie, and I bop, 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 bop. I hit the point of my theme right as the bell rings. I give you the most important thing and say it with your going out thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, let me send you just 52 through 65. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Test on Monday. After you've looked at my deformed foot. <laughs> but there is a creepy student in the class. Yeah. But there is a creepy student in her class who is giving her creepy looks and asks her about her foot and asks her to show her foot. And she takes off her, we don't know what that is right now. So she takes it off and we can see that she's missing all of her toes. Like she, she has a little piece of her pinky toe, but she's missing a good chunk of her foot. Yeah. Then and that's we- how class ends. <laughs> Ring. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're at a um, a science conference because you know it, it's a science conference because someone's on stage saying science words yeah, science to a guy, packed audience. Science guy is science talking. And science guy is James Rebhorn, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. That guy, He he's one of the classic He's a total that, guys. that guy. Yeah. Uh, shout out to all the lo- that guys we've lost recently. Uh, Donald Moffat, James. James Hong's still alive. Sorry. <laughs> James Hong. We love you, James. We Hong. love you. What we gather that Science Guy is yeah. talking about is uh, the Viking probe to Mars, which was, of course, happening in the mid-70s. Arthur, James Marsden, was, created the camera, the 360-degree camera that is on the Mars probe and is taking pictures that apparently they are just getting back right now. Right. And Science Guy doing the uh, press conference was not prepared to answer a question about the NSA. No. Someone asks about the NSA and it fucking brings the whole thing to a screeching halt. Yeah. Does not pawn it off well. Looks around. <laughs> nervous. I cannot answer that question at this time. But then you could hear overdub like reporters yelling questions. Hey, wh- why is the NSA here? You know, like, just, like come on, you guys. Come prepared with your come own prepared. questions. Especially if it's about the NSA, it's going to look more suspicious that you refuse to answer. <laughs> so next thing, Norma meets with the dean of the school. And right. I should say the dean is played by the actor who played Mr. Stewart in the 1980s teleplay. Oh, is that right? And he has a real creepy look about him. She, he does, yeah. yeah. And he informs her that they're not going to give a discount, a student discount for teachers. So yeah. her son's tuition is about to go through the roof. And as he's saying this, he gets a nosebleed. So yeah. this is the first creepy nosebleed that we see. She says they're living paycheck to paycheck. And I'm like, you you teach at a prestigious school. Your husband <laughs> works at NASA. NASA. You, you, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's on you. Yeah, he drives really, a fucking badass Corvette. It really is on you. Kind of save up a little. Yeah, and she says the husband is, quote, living on Mars because he's just at his science job doing sciencey things related to Mars, whatever. Who cares? At the end of the workday, Arthur is not home yet, I don't no, believe. No, no. But Mr. Stewart, 
makes his visit at 5 p.m., and he is played by Franklin Jella. And Mr. Stewart is a very kind of stern man, dressed in black, and he has a good chunk of his face missing. Yes. And it's done seemingly with CGI and looks pretty bad. If you've played Fallout 4, he looks like the vault Tech rep after the Fallout happens, where he's all zombified. That's what he looks like, because he's dressed in a suit, coming to your doorstep, trying to sell you some shit. <laughs> he explains the box to Cameron Diaz. Which he calls the button unit. The button unit, that's right. He sits her down in her kitchen and explains, you open this with the key. Push this red button. Someone you don't know somewhere in the world will die, but you will get a million dollars. And there are rules with this. You can't tell anybody about this except for your husband. You can't ask. Can't go what, to the cops. Can't go to the cops. And if you feed the box after midnight, <laughs> <laughs> so while this is happening, it cuts back to work. Yes, this movie is just so not well edited. The, the editing went through a wormhole. <laughs> it really did. So we go back to work where Arthur now is explaining to his colleagues. This is my favorite bit of dialogue in the movie. How she her toes got got taken off, which was that a neglectful doctor, when she went in for some kind of a, a minor injury, a neglectful doctor left the x-ray ma- machine on and she was blasted with radiation and lost all of her toes. But that got explained because a, a co-worker walks up and goes, hey, what happened to her foot? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Thanks yeah. for just bringing that. You always ask the worst questions at work, Ray. <laughs> really? But again, we're hitting home that they have money problems, that the world's indifferent and cruel. We also find out that he failed his yes. astronaut uh, application because he failed the psych exam. This is a rough day for this family. Really? <laughs> Real rough 24 <laughs> hours eventful, for this family. Suspiciously eventful day. He's, we also, he's also building a prosthesis for her. Yeah, that's that's the point. That's when the foot talk happens. He's explaining yeah, that. Yeah, he's <laughs> using his work time for this. Right. He's making, And everybody's that's like, oh, that's... tax dollars at work. <laughs> yes. Everybody's in love with him for this. His boss is like, yeah, go ahead. Make your wife a foot on company time. We're NASA. We don't do anything. <laughs> Yeah, NASA in the seventies. We are not busy We're only at going all. to Mars, buddy. No wonder he but failed I, his psych exam. I kept thinking all this was going to come back that this was Mister Stewart's doing, forcing them into this choice. Well, it was. But they, is that explained? But, uh, it's explained later that anybody who has a creepy nosebleed is one of Mister Stewart's employees, mm-hmm. uh, and the dean had a creepy nosebleed. Okay, but the the psychology. But, but he had infiltrated the NSA and the CIA and all those. Maybe. No, he had. It's pretty clear that he has because he's in like a NSA wind tunnel and he has some. Only because they say it. <laughs> Only because they say it and show it. So we go back now to the house. So so Mr. Stewart has left. He's he's made his offer. One million dollar, push the button, somebody dies, and he takes <laughs> off. And now they're sort of endlessly and in a very uninteresting way, debating the moral and not yes, really debating the moral. Not so really. this family, okay, so he just got rejected for his dream job of being an astronaut. This is what he's, he even says to his employers, what am I supposed to do now? You know, like asking his boss, what am I supposed to fucking work for you people? His wife finds out this kid's not going to go to this, this prestigious school anymore. Yet they get home, they're like, off to the theater. Yeah. They have to go watch a high school play. They go off to, yeah, there's a, a party scene that they go to. You, you're married. I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> have you been to a place where one of you stubs your toe? All it's right. like, honey, I don't want to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse. I got a hangnail. Uh, you go if you want. You got but... a lot of excuses to yeah. back out of this thing. 
But they go out to this thing. Uh, they leave their kid with a babysitter. Remember, they got 12-year-old Walter. Uh, the babysitter is played by Jillian Jacobs. Um, they're, and again, there's just these very shapeless scenes of them talking about the box and what they're going to do with the box. Uh, he actually opens up the box. There's nothing in the box. There's no transistors. There's no radios or anything like that. See, this is what I thought this movie was going to be. This is uh, just this two-hour navel-gazing dialogue about all the implications about murder and is it fair and what, what do we deserve. That's what I thought this movie was going to mm-hmm. be, which I think is good for an eight-page story right. or a 20-minute Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. So as they're debating this and kind of getting down to their decision of what they're going to do, because I think he gives them 24 hours, Mr. Stewart. Yeah, there's a a ticking clock. We kind of cut back to another guy at NASA. There's another guy. He gets a phone call and he leaves work immediately. Somebody is taking pictures of him as they're doing it. So there's always this feeling of surveillance and somebody's watching you and, and observing you. After this scene of the taking pictures of the random guy taking a phone call about somebody being kidnapped. They're sitting at their kitchen table, and James Marsden is now serious because he says, I ran a test at work. This $100 bill is real. So let's assume it's all real. (laughs) That's how the fucking movie progresses. Somebody going, I ran a test at work. Because at NASA, they can test $100 bills. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, what machine do you – they don't really need that much technology. Well, I think it was Taft who put the (laughs) treasury under NASA. (laughs) I think that was part of his administration. Yeah, we forgot to mention that, well, they're obviously, this is an insane offer that Mr. Stewart is making. Yeah. They're not even sure that it's real. They think maybe he's a salesman. Maybe he's just some rich guy being weird. They're kind of debating whether any of this is real or not. And he gives them a $100 bill, a crisp $100 bill to show that he is serious. He shows them the briefcase full of a million dollars, gives them the $100 bill, and he tests it with all of his NASA space equipment. His foot polymer. <laughs> and says yeah it's a real 100 dollars bill and so norma decides you know what i'm just gonna push the button yep just see what happens pushing the button boom she pushes the button and as this happens we get a 911 call yeah and report of a dead woman the cops come to the place Uh, there's a corpse on the floor a man was seen leaving the place with a briefcase Mm -hmm. and there is a little girl in the bathroom kind of hiding the cops break down the door and that's sort of how that scene ends and suddenly mr stewart shows up at norma and arthur's house and gives them one million dollars and says that what is going to happen is that the button will be the button unit will be reset an offer will be made to another couple and he assures them don't worry it will be someone that you don't know. Which I thought was a good ominous touch. That is how the TV episode ends. Mm. And there's a hard cut on the woman. The setup is basically almost the exact same. They're not NASA people. They're poor. They're yeah. actually poor. But it's the same thing. Same debate. Same same basic idea. Uh, and it ends on him, on Mr. Stewart, saying it'll be given to someone you don't know. And a hard cut on her as she realizes, oh shit. Yeah. We're the people that they don't know. Yeah. We're next. And this is kind of what they think they worry about in the immediate aftermath in in the box of Mr. Stewart saying this. But they quickly dismiss that. <laughs> they, well, they try to give the money back. Uh, Mr. Stewart says, no, no deal on that. So keep the money. And they go upstairs. And this, again, the editing is so weird here. This is the scene where he gives her the prosthetic foot. Yeah, right? This is so fucking weird. Like, right scene. in the middle of this, they just got a million dollars. Yeah. Like, this offer, there's a huge amount of cash, and then he's like, now's the time to, like, 
break out the prosthetic foot. They're that getting I made ready for, for something, and he gift wraps the box. There's this whole wedding thing that is going on. Throughout. Yes, somebody's getting married at Christmas. But I mean, this like, isn't what a the jerk wedding kind of move. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? <laughs> no, nothing. Would you? Wait, it's Christmas. You got enough presents to buy, people. <laughs> you really need a fucking wedding? Yeah, God. who wants to plan their fucking Christmas around somebody else's wedding? All of this wedding? wedding stuff because they they go out to the rehearsal dinner and then later they're at the wedding. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the this is like, like a whole thing that's going on while it's fucking Christmas for God's sakes. So he gives her her foot, and she's thrilled. I give somebody a human foot for a gift. And I'm get arrested. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it just seems unfair. But she says that her foot is pain free. She's walking like in heels because they're going out to again this rehearsal dinner for uh, his somebody's wedding. It's mm, I think it's her sister. Her sister. That's yeah. it. Yeah, because the her father is one of the investigating cops who gets the call about the dead body. He just happens to be that homicide detective. <laughs> Not a great deal. For him. <laughs> and at the wedding, there's a lot of creepy people staring yeah. at Norma and at uh, Arthur. So were they all the plants for Mr. Stewart? Yes. Okay. Why? Why are they just I mean what what's the point of having people stare at you ominously? Presumably everyone who is making a creepy stare, certainly everybody who has a nosebleed and is is staring at them and being zombified and weird as well as we'll start to see a lot of people are going to get nosebleeds and be weird zombie sort of people staring at Norma and Arthur. This movie's a lot of just weird reactions. And Mr. Stewart as we'll see is sort of in his own kind of headquarters and he's sort of monitoring everything. He can see everything and he can hear everything. And at one point he says to Norma, "I'm in your backyard right now." And she looks up and it's one of his zombie guys. Yeah. I think the tie is that essentially if you remember, Arthur designed a 360-degree camera to land on Mars to check that and possibly see if there's any signs of alien life. Okay. These people are essentially stewards' 360-degree cameras. And it's also suggested that uh, whatever is in Mr. Stewart is alien in origin. Yeah. And so it's essentially a they flip on the whole Arthur thing of these are his 360-degree cameras. They're just people who are walking around observing and sort of pushing them into this situation. Yeah. But you made a, a good observation during Sleepaway Camp episode, Baba Daba. And <laughs> you said that the way that, I forget her name, but the way she reacts to people was she just quietly stares at them. Right. Almost to a point that's antagonistic mm-hmm. or that's what this is. It's like they're not just keeping tabs on them. If you want to surreptitiously, surreptitiously surveil someone, yeah. that's easy. Yeah. But I'll do it all the time. I'm, I mean <laughs> – Anybody listening right now? <laughs> but why push his buttons? Ah, oh, is that it? No, hello. That can't be it. I know. It's That's just too so on the nose, dumb, right? right? Yeah. But, so why provoke him? Why get him to attack that kid? Because he, he ends up punching this. Does he even punch him? He just kind of har- uh, harasses the guy. Yeah, the creepy student who earlier uh, pushed uh, Norma to show her deformed foot. Uh, now is a waiter at this thing and he's also creepy staring at him too yeah and smiling and laughing in yeah. a weird way which i gotta say norma you didn't have to show your foot you, you know i mean the kids could have been dicks but you didn't have to take it <laughs> off and show them and while they're at this party uh the babysitter is with walter a figure appears outside the house and suddenly she becomes possessed. is that is that that scene or is that later no that's this scene she becomes possessed and she starts quizzing him about mars and about things that his father does so this is clearly like whoever is Controlling Mr. Stewart is trying to gain information because they're asking about his father's work, 
what's he doing on Mars? How does this camera work? Who are these people? But it's also really bad because the way Walter takes her down to the basement, she just says, what else does your dad collect? And he's like, oh, my dad collects Mars stuff in the basement. And like, <laughs> how did she know that question was going to get to that point? But then it's very obviously to someone who's not a 12-year-old kid, the question she's asking is very information-gathering questions. Exactly. How long did it take? What did he get back? You know, that kind of stuff. Arthur gives the information. Uh, I think he gives the license plate of the town car uh, that uh, Stuart has been driving around in. And he gives that to his father-in-law, who is a cop. And ask him to investigate that. And immediately, Norma gets a call from Mr. Stewart saying, I know you've given the, uh, your husband you has the given cops. the information to the cops. Yeah. And did you and notice? He, he informs her that he has, quote unquote, employees everywhere. Right. And he also says that there are always consequences. Yeah. So this is, you, they feel like the consequences of um, pushing the button on the box and getting involved in this are starting to pile up. Yeah. And then we get uh, s- uh, several bloody noses at this party for the wedding. Right. And I started thinking, okay, it's the 70s. Bloody noses could not be that uncommon. <laughs> I mean, everybody's got Coke vials on them at all times. <laughs> you can't be that shocked to see a bloody nose with wealthy in the 70s. Sure. But a lot of people are now are getting bloody nose. The kid gets a bloody nose. They leave the party. They flee the party after he accosts the kid. Yeah. Uh, and the kid gives him, kind of seems to snap out of it and gives him some kind of a, again, an ominous warning. They get home and Arthur goes to drive the babysitter home. And she says that she's living at a motel, which he finds kind of uh, interesting. And she she seems to be speaking to him in some kind of a code because she mentions pushing your buttons. Yeah. She says, look into the light. She's giving him all these things. She finally, pa- she gets a nosebleed, passes out. Again, delivers an ominous warning, uh, basically says, you're not, you shouldn't be here. It's not safe. Get out of here and runs away into the hotel. As he's doing this, Stuart calls Norma again at home. And this is where he says, I'm in your backyard. And she looks up and it's some stranger that she's never seen who is just staring at her in a very creepy way and gazing at her. And we forgot to mention that at the Christmas party, he was given a gift. He was the first to choose a gift. And he opened up and it was a picture of Mr. Stuart, not with the burn unit or burn, not with the burn scars on him. And he realizes, Hey, I've seen that picture somewhere before it's down in his basement, Mars scrapbooking endeavor. Right. So we find out Stuart is an ex NASA employee. Um, there's a scene where it's a lot of just people running up and saying some sort of a cryptic thing and yeah. then passing out or running away. So like the reporter who Arthur was talking to earlier during the science uh, talk was, Runs up to uh, Norma in the supermarket, delivers some ominous warning, and then passes out. Pretty much explains everything. See, and this is where, to me, the movie just unravels. It just, I mean, really, whatever we were building to, it does. it's not going to pay off. And this is just shit upon shit upon shit. Yeah, now. well, it's because the, the, the moral quandary of the button has just sort of, already, it's gone completely away. Now this is just, here's weird things happening yes. in sort of parallel dimensions and timelines and just weird shit happening. Here's the same just, scene a bunch of different ways. Yeah, but it's completely lost all the human aspect of, of us caring about them or the moral issues right. of the pushing the button on the box. Every time you see Mr. Stewart, he's in some big, uh, I called it the prop department because there's big propellers <laughs> and a big jelly gate. It looks like Stargate yeah, with water some kind circling of around CGI it. CGI goo that is yeah. protecting him in there. Which and I, they call it a, they say it's a wind tunnel. 
yeah. later on. In the 2000s, I guess, CGI goo was short <laughs> was for, <laughs> for <laughs> W-holes. Weird alien shit. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, he's in there. He's in there, and he, he is basically omniscient. Whatever his, uh, he calls them employees, uh, his zombie horde, whatever they are seeing and hearing, he is seeing and hearing at the same time. Yeah. If this isn't making sense, it's not on us. It, this movie doesn't make sense. <laughs> so this starts a really weird sequence where both Norma and Arthur go to the library. After Marsden Seemingly gets, at the same time? After Marsden gets to visit a crime scene with the homicide. I'm sure that's not protocol. <laughs> he takes him to a homicide scene. And then he, for some reason, goes to the library after he steals something from the crime scene. They're both trying to figure out who is this Mr. Stewart guy. Yeah. And she goes to the library at the same, both at the same library at the same time. Nobody has jobs anymore, I guess. (laughs) And everyone in the library apparently is possessed and is one of his employees, if you will. She's trying to do research. She finds an article that says NASA employee struck by lightning. She finds a film reel of Stewart, and we realize, yeah, he was an ex-NASA employee. He was hit by lightning, and something has happened to him. Marsden finds a book called The Lightning Book, which I'm told you can't check out of the same library twice. (laughs) That's such a bad joke. Classic. That's such a bad joke. But I like that the book, when he opens up, the book has a newspaper clipping inside it. Of the event of Stewart getting struck by lightning. Helpful. What the fuck? So he gets chased through the library by Stewart's employees, and he finally gets cornered uh, by Stewart's wife, yeah. who tells him, Climene. He's testing you. He's testing all of us. She gives him another choice, similar to the box choice. Yeah. Which is, there's three gateways, which just means three CGI goo squares, <laughs> plop up out of the floor of the library, and she's like, Pick one of these goose squares. This is why I don't know. Like, this is where it's like, what was his fucking choice there? Because he just goes, two. Yeah. And just walks into the middle one. And it's like, <laughs> what was the choice? Like, it's a random, right? And I was really, I it, this movie is all about 70s nostalgia. 70s couple, you couldn't get Monty Hall or the fucking pick your door. What's the name of that? What's, let's make a let's deal. Let's make a deal. You couldn't get that fucking theme going on or the, the donkey behind the guy and the donkey behind one of the jelly cubes. <laughs> so while this is happening, while he while uh, Arthur is stepping into the jelly cube, the the second one, sure. which is huge, Two. huge, Stuart confronts Norma in the library. She comes into a room and he's just sitting in there. Yeah. And this is where we get to the section of the movie where it's like, let's explain Everything that's happening, which right. I would have liked this a lot more if they did not get so goddamn explainy about it. Like, just be weird if you want, but don't explain it. So he says that he was hit by lightning and he communicates, quote, with those who control the lightning. Mm-hmm. That's just his explanation for it. And he talks about how she must hate him because he's basically the devil and he's making her this really sinister offer. And she surprises him. And this is the first time we see any kind of glimmer of sort of a human reaction in him. And he says, she says that she felt love because uh, they were mutual disfigurement. Yeah. So Arthur chooses the middle one. He goes into, floats into some CGI goo. He suddenly appears hovering over Norma, who is now in bed in their bedroom. And she looks up and he's hovering over in the CGI goo, which suddenly turns into water. Mm -hmm. And in slow motion, crashes down upon their bed and floods down the stairs to the rest of the house. Very somewhat... Not somewhat, very inexplicably. Right. 
and the uh, 12-year-old boys running around thinking the wet bandits have shown up and are robbing this house because it's flooded, but he finds his parents in bed all covered with this goo. Yeah. Which has got to be a scarring image to yeah, really? someone going through puberty. <laughs> well, it just turns What into, were you guys doing in here? It just turns into water, and they're just kind of going around mopping it up and stuff like that. But the kid also says, like, do you remember coming home last night? You were acting really weird, and so some sort of a zombie thing has happened to them and it's manifested as whatever the hell just happened. I, I could not care less about any of these scenes. I swear to God, it was so mad. Frustrating. <laughs> but keep listening. So now we get into the most explainy scene in the movie, which is the NSA wonk who has been kind of going around and doing the bidding. He's not possessed. He's just, he's an NSA guy who is just going around he's doing kind of a Grima worm tongue kind of figure. Just yeah. He's toady. doing the bidding of Mr. Stewart going around doing these things. And he is explaining all of this to James Rebhorn, who is the NASA head. They're having a clandestine meeting on a NASA launch pad. <laughs> you take somebody out to a NASA launch pad if you truly want to be alone. And of course, Stewart is listening on to the entire thing. But uh, he basically explains that Stewart was hit by lightning and that he is, quote, something else. And they literally explain the box. They explain that the nosebleeds are because he can't control the something with the cerebral cortex doesn't happen. So people get nosebleeds when he's no. That, that's them. a different conversation. That's the guy who uh, had to kill his wife explaining that to Marsden. Oh, okay. There's a lot of explaining going. Yeah, on. but that's whatever. That basically is it. Um, because so l- let me ask you this. Maybe I was confused and I was just mad at this movie. The guy explaining everything to Rebhorn, right. R.I.P. Isn't he like two scenes later explaining everything to Langella? Yeah. So he's like a double agent kind of guy? He's just, ex- no, he's an explainer. <laughs> that's, he's uh, what Richard That's his Kelly credit, expository number one. <laughs> so now they're at the wedding. <laughs> right, the, the, the big wedding. wedding. And the husband, uh, the killer husband who was on the run, who had killed his wife earlier when they pressed the button, when, when Arthur and Norma pressed the button, he shows up and basically does the come with me if you want to live. Thing. He just happens to be at the right door at the right time when Marsden tells his son, I'm going to be sick and walks out. So now we have the exposition of the guy who's kidnapped, Arthur Lewis, explaining, I had to kill my wife. He made me choose between my wife and my daughter, and I had to pick. So I picked my wife. I killed my wife. This is the guy who worked at NASA. The guy you saw earlier getting surreptitiously photographed, answering the call. He's obviously pressed the button sometime before. He was the previous guy to press the button is what we kind of assume. But as he's explaining this, suddenly we see something in the road. Stop the car. And who is it? Santa Claus. Santa! Santa is just standing in the middle of the road, zombified, kind of ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. And they kind of silently stared. I'm like, what the fuck is zombie Santa doing in the middle of the road when suddenly a truck, boosh, comes in the side and knocks it right <laughs> over. And um, we two scenes later, we see the aftermath, which is that one person is in the truck. Yeah. All the cops are on the scene. Only one person is in the truck. We then cut to... But that's how you know it was really Santa, because Santa's nowhere to be found. <laughs> But there's obviously some sort of cover-up. One of the bodies isn't there. Yeah. We now cut to Langley Research Center in NASA. This makes no at sense. At which point, Arthur emerges being carried out of the research center. He is somehow teleported or something. The, the, the whole hangar is just bright, brilliant light. There's a SWAT team outside. Big Spielbergian backlight yes. kind of thing going on. And he comes out, uh, Arthur comes out of the research center, and he is told by James Redhorn that what happens next is going to have enormous effects on the future of humanity which he says looking into the camera to the audience (laughs) 
He gets home. Norma's there, and Stuart is waiting in the kitchen. Stuart is at the kitchen table. He says their son is, quote, in a safe place, but he is now deaf and blind, and he offers the Lewises the exact same choice that he offered to the previous couple, which is shoot your wife in the heart and kill her dead now, and your son will be fine. Deafness gone, blindness gone, million dollars goes into an account. He gets it on his 18th birthday. He can be a total douchebag at that point. (laughs) Or keep the money, and you got a deaf and blind son. Yeah. And as he's explaining to this, we get cuts to the kid who's now realizing, who is realizing he's, he's deaf and blind, slapping his eyes and ears. And it's like great suspense there. Yeah. Asshole. <laughs> as uh, Mr. Stewart is leaving, they they essentially arrive at the conclusion that pressing the button has put them in purgatory because mm. they're in this place so they have to make this horrible choice and they're being tortured by this thing that's happening. But they also think that when they stepped through the portal. Portal number two, remember? Portal two. That they got a vision of the afterlife, and that the afterlife is kind of sweet. It's kind of nice. So it's not so bad. So she'll be she like she'll like being dead. I noticed. Yeah, so, Marsden is the one saying this. He's like, trust babe, me, trust me. You're gonna go. You're gonna. It's gonna take a while to get used to it. Really nice. Hear me out really on this. Nice. So she elects to die, and as she as he is preparing to shoot her in the heart. Another, we see another couple uh, at yeah. the kitchen table with a box, with a button, debating whether oh. or not to push the button. Okay. Uh, and uh, as he shoots her, of course, they press the button. Okay. Boom. I mean, as uh, simple as that. So she dies. That's the, the person they don't know who dies. So it was them who killed that one woman. Exactly. Okay. okay. Exactly. Pushing the button. So Marsden is taken off by the cops. By his father-in-law. He's told that his son will be, quote, well taken care of. And mm-hmm. then the final shot is Mr. Stewart visits this other couple in Massachusetts with the money. And they're going to be tortured again. And we get the idea that this is going to keep going on and on and on until people stop pressing the goddamn button. Yeah, that's the box. Speaking of getting your buttons pressed, Quirky, you really did not like this movie. Talk I, about it. I did. I disliked this movie uh, vehemently. Uh, it was, like I said, halfway through this movie, I realized... It's not going to pay off. Mm-hmm. And the more, uh, I, I'm saying shit, but not to be crass, the more crapola that they pile onto this doesn't make it better. It's just more diverse. He didn't know how to wrap it up, I think. He just added more weirdness. Mm-hmm. Things seem out of order, the placement of things, which doesn't help in this movie at all. Yeah. You can tell that there were some serious uh, recuts and, and probably had to cut it down severely. Probably the original cut was two and a half or three I, hours long or something like I that. I would say three, probably three of those expository scenes were reshoots saying, like, right. we got to fucking explain something. Explain here. some of this shit. Or even the fucking tag at the beginning where it's like, okay, burn unit guy just got out. He's <laughs> built a box. He's going to visit random homes. It's all explained in the first 10 yeah. seconds in this. No, like I said, he he, make, he makes a good looking visually movie, mm-hmm. but uh, not an entertaining movie at yeah, all. It's just too wrapped up in stuff. And it, it doesn't, it completely stops giving a shit about the characters at a certain point and just is about wormholes and boxes and aliens and people commune zombies and things like that. It, it just, it, it just piles on the crap. To kind of go back to the short story, uh, what's interesting about that, again, it's the exact same setup. The wife wants to push the button. The husband is not sure. She eventually pushes the button and the next day he falls off a subway, the husband, uh, is actually pushed off of a subway platform in front of a train. She's promised fifty thousand dollars, and it turns out his life insurance was twenty five thousand. Ah. Double indemnity. 
for a train accident. And she gets a call from Mr. Stewart at the end because it seems as like, okay, well, it's a simple thing of they pushed him and she gets the insurance money. Yeah. And she says, well, you said it would be someone I don't know. And Mr. Stewart's reply is, do you think you really knew your husband? Yeah. And I think that sort of gets at like why the box fails because that that story is about the couple. Yeah. It's about the couple. It's yeah. about them. And the box is not about the couple. It's about the couple for like 20 minutes and then it's just not anymore. See, going into it, like I said, going into it, I was going to be like, oh, man, this is 116 minutes of just navel gazing, just this whole philosophical philosophy debate about is it okay to do this kind of thing by halfway through this movie i was begging for that please give me that yes, yes. give me come go back to that that's that's the only interesting part of this to me mm-hmm. I, I like science fiction i like i like vague i like st- like you said if you're gonna be weird just be weird about it great but this was not weird enough to grab me yeah all right, so well, let's wrap it up and let's give our ratings. Just to remind everybody, a dare is for your run-of-the-mill bad movie, double dare for a next-level bad movie, and a reverse dare for a movie that we actually kind of like quirky rating for the box. Well, I got to apologize to my now ex-wife uh, for <laughs> – no, actually, I'm not apologizing. This is part of our divorce proceedings. There you go. Yeah, this who gets is to a, keep the box? This, yeah, this is a double dare. <laughs> who keeps the online rental? Stay away from this. This is not good. You're not going to gain anything from from watching it. Watch the Twilight Zone episode, maybe. There's a line in this movie about 20 minutes in when James Marsden opens it up, and he says, there's nothing in the box. And I thought, okay, perfectly succinct. I should have been on the tagline on the poster. There's nothing in this (laughs) box. You nailed it, James. Yeah, I, again, was not a big fan of it either, but I didn't have a really strong negative reaction to it. There was just enough goofy, weird, silly stuff happening to keep me hanging on and kind of figuring, like, what the heck is going to happen next, uh, even though I wasn't particularly invested, but it was just more of a sort of a freak show kind of uh, aspect of it, sure. I guess. Sure. But at the same time, I, I don't want to give it a reverse dare because that would suggest that I think it's a good movie, yeah. possibly, so I'm just going to go with the straight old dare. Okay. Acceptable. That's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com, and be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can read more of my movie reviews in the Sacramento News and Review and at newsreview.com. Corky! Wow, yeah. Where can people find you floating in CGI goo? Now... If you want to find me floating in goo, just I come do. visit me anytime. Just anytime. Anytime. I'll be floating in goo, okay. baby. But if you want to find me floating in CGI goo, come visit me at the uh, NSA headquarters. I'll be doing a two-act. Uh, <laughs> based on <laughs> Find me at the Sacramento Comedy Spot Fridays and Saturdays with my team, Anti-Cooperation League. Sounds great. For Dare Daniel, <laughs> I'm Daniel Barnes. Our producer is Johnny Wormhole Flores. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, press the button on my box, baby.